Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. I think we have a star in the making, I'm not sure, but. (laughs) He was so cute. Oh, man. All right, we better get to preaching. They did a good job. If we don't get to preaching, we won't get out of here because I got a long message, so. But I figure you're going to be here to eat afterwards, so anyways. I praise the Lord for all of you here. I'm glad for our visitors. I'm glad that we're being... I know, videotaped and put out there live on Facebook. I think that's good. Um, I'm not particularly well in being a good client, though, in that area as far as being on camera, but, um, but I love the Lord, and I love this church, and I love all of you, and we're entering into the Christmas season, so I thought I'd, I'd share a little t- different type of message with you this morning. It's called the Christmas Anomalies. Anomalies. Um, what happens is during Christmas time is a lot of times uh, debates start to happen. What really happened? You know, what time of the year was it? Uh, where did the st- when did the star arrive? And uh, well, how many wise men were there? And all these things go on and on. And what happens is a lot of times we get involved in those debates and then we lose uh, the reason for the season. So I want to kind of share with you some things, and I'm sure some of these things you've never heard before. Um, I've done my research on them. I, I pray I've, uh, everything I say will honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but I at least will cause you to think. Uh, I'm sure that it will cause you to think about the Christmas season, about what the Bible tells us about it, and some of the anomalies that are there that uh, need to be ad- addressed at some point in your life uh, just to agree by faith. So w- without any further ado, we're going to begin. I would like you to turn to Matthew 2, and I'm going to pray as you turn there. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for uh, all that you do in our hearts, Lord, especially during this season probably the greatest event of all mankind, when God, Emmanuel, comes to us in flesh that we might see him in you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you for however you're going to work in our hearts today with whatever message you want us to learn so that we can see you and be a part of your life. And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew 2, in 1 through 11... And we talked about this, uh, now this is my humbug killer number six, I think. I said I was going to have about eight of them. Uh, next uh, Sunday will be the final, final couple. But uh, it says there, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are now come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded on them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus, now catch this, don't miss this, for thus it is written by the prophet. This is very, very important. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, Art not least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor 
that shall rule my people Israel. This is all according to Scripture. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, now catch this, which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Why? Uh, because the star had disappeared for a while and then reappeared. And I'm going to share with you in just a moment. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and mirth. The word of God is getting more and more misrepresented today. And one of the areas the Word of God is challenged the most in is events, traditional events like Christmas. Uh, one of the reasons this happens is the Word of God is taken out of context. And the reason it's done so is to appease all the naysayers and, and to comfort the conscience. Uh, certainly there are things associated with Christmas, especially here in America, that should be some concern to us, right? Um, Santa Claus is obviously a fictional character. Um, about whom I believe you ought to tell your kids the truth with, at least. Uh, we don't want to lie to them. We want them to know that, you know, the truth. Uh, but Santa Claus is not as disturbing to me or as damaging as the ex extensive materialism of this season or the way the scripture is twisted out of context. That is easy, far more damaging to the meaning of a Christian than a fat man in a red suit traveling around the world giving gifts to little kids. So I've learned through the years, believers who find problems over non-doctrinal areas in the Bible are 95% of the time not faithful to the basic fundamental truths of the Bible. Uh, they just like to find things and to prove their intelligence, I think. But as believers, we ought to be able to celebrate Christmas while having to complicate things or debate each other over non-issues, what I call non-issues. After all, Christmas is the celebration of the birth of our Savior. Amen? I mean, everybody should be happy about this time of the year. So it's hard enough to defend it against a world that is trying to silence it without fighting amongst ourselves about what is meant here or, or, or uh, the non-essentials, what I call, to our faith and practice. So unless there are substantial scriptural errors on uh, which we can support both biblically this is the way I look at scripture, and historically, we must be very careful our minds don't get corrupted concerning the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ during the Christmas season. You know, Paul said this, he said, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, craftiness, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's how Satan gets a hold of us. And he likes to divide us in those areas, making us think God has held back on us. He's not giving us all that we need, and he has given us all we need in the Word of God. We have it right here with us. So the simplicity of Christmas time should make this holiday one of the most joyful events of the year, but it can become spiritually non-significant if we're not careful. And, and just look at the Jehovah's False Witnesses, how they've destroyed the Christmas season. 
So careful study and comparison of Scripture with Scripture allows us to arrive at a very best possible narrative for Christmas. And then when we do, Satan loves to interject doubts and opinions to trick us into thinking God is holding out on something maybe more that we should know or maybe that we think we do know, like the time of the year that Christ was born. So I personally believe God the Father loves our best attempts to remember and honor his son's birth, even though we may not do it perfectly and or have the facts right. As I said in the Sunday school lesson this morning, we just have to have the desire to want to please God in this event with all of our hearts and minds and gifts giving and celebrations. And God, I believe, that touches his heart because it was his son, right? The Lord Jesus Christ that he had to, that he had to send to earth. God the Father had to send the son to earth in order to be born of a virgin, suffer, and then die on a cross so that he could, be, so he could raise again and or offer unto us as sinners eternal life by trusting in him. So if it's all right, let's let the Bible prove, right, what is or how important the remembrance of Christmas is and how important the celebration is of it. First is this. Number one is the word of God substantiates the actual birthday of Christ as, Christ, as uh, December 25th. Now, there's a lot of Bible scholars out there that will say, you're absolutely wrong. Well, I, I want them to prove to me that I'm wrong based on my research that I have done. And the best one to, to reference here is our, Dr. R.B. Ulett, by the way, uh, who has now throat cancer. And I would ask that you'd pray for him. I preached with him one day out in Michigan and uh, shared the puppet with him. He's a, he's a nationally known preacher, so it was a great privilege for me to do that. So we all love birthday celebrations, right? And I believe God does also, and here's why. No one knows the exact day Jesus was born, but the Bible, right, does tell with great precision, I think, that the day, of, that the day Christ was born indeed was around December 25th. Uh, with 1 Chronicles 24, a key, I'll let, you, I'll let the study of Dr. R.B. Olat explain this, because he explains it much better than I could preach it. The Hebrew religious year begins the month on the month in the sun. The Hebrew calendar has 354 days instead of 365 days, so their calendar does not exactly line up with ours. The Hebrew month Nisan roughly corresponds with mid-March or to mid-April on our calendar. So in this month, now think about this, they celebrate the Passover and Israel's deliverance from Egypt. So the first month of the Hebrew religious year is the month Nisan. And the priests who served in the temple served after a pattern that was established by David the king. So according to 1 Chronicles 24, the descendants of Aaron were divided by David into 24 groups to serve two roles. Here's the two roles, to governors of the sanctuary and governors over the house of God. So uh, each group of priests served according to a schedule drawn up by the casting of lots. And we can find all this back there. I just don't have time to go there. I was going to, but with the singing stuff, I don't want to uh, go further than our allotted time. So the system David set in place correlated with the courses or groups of priests to the months. The same pattern, now listen carefully, don't let me lose you on this. The same pattern was followed for the military and the priesthood in 1 Chronicles 27. This meant that each group knew when they were due to leave their homes, go to Jerusalem for their time of service. 
And according to 1 Chronicles 24.10, the family of Abijah was assigned to the eighth course of the eighth month. So Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, served in the eighth month. We know that from uh, what's established in history. So Luke tells us this in Luke 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, or that would be Abijah. So as a descendant of Abijah, Zacharias would have served in the temple in the eighth month of the Hebrew calendar. This month is the month of Heshvan. Heshvan corresponds to mid-October, mid-November on their calendar. Now Zacharias was uh, fulfilling his normal term of service when the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him he and Elizabeth were going to have a son. So Zacharias would have, have completed his service, gone home between the middle and end of October. The Bible tells us that Zacharias stayed and completed his normal duties in the temple temple before returning home, Luke 1.23. It was shortly after this, his ret return, that Elizabeth conceived as promised by the angel. Now, stay with me. Therefore, John the Baptist's conception was near or at the end of October, and we are told that Elizabeth hid herself five months after conceiving John. So Gabriel appeared to Mary in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy to announce the birth of Christ. The start of the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy would have been close to the end of March. Are you still with me? So it was at that time that Gabriel announced to Mary that she would be the mother of the Messiah. She was also told her uh, that her cousin Elizabeth was pregnant. And so normal gestation of a uh, baby's uh, life is in the womb is approximately 270 days. The angel Gabriel made this announcement to Mary somewhere close to around March 31st on our calendar. And if you add 270 days to that date, and it's, it, it will be somewhere around December 25th. Isn't that amazing? That's from the Bible. So God's word, again, is what verifies uh, the day the Savior was born to sinful man, Right? And this would surprise many, or those who tried to debate the day of his birth as being somewhere in March or somewhere around that time. And, and honestly, that, that's the things that, that uh, we shoot ourselves in the foot with as fundamentalists. You know, we, uh, we, we think we know something, so we post it, we go with it, and, uh, and then all the followers believe it, and then, and then we say, all right, well, then it must have been somewhere around March, and Everybody's been preaching the wrong truth. Well, I don't believe that. I believe he was born around December 25th, and I believe that God made that uh, day purposed, purposed for us to celebrate in the years of his. So God did not want anyone to miss his son's birth, and he left no room to debate it. And, and I look at it as it's all verified in the word of God. Now, that should comfort you a little bit, is that everything in the word of God is true. And, and we have all that we need to find out things if we just want to search it and study it out a little bit, we can find these things. Now, secondly, the Word of God vindicates the birth celebration of Jesus. This is one thing that, I, I, that I've had to, uh, this opposition, I guess, about celebrating Christmas, uh, I've had to deal with through the years. It's interesting when you do the research that Christmas was never celebrated in the Scriptures after the birth of Jesus Christ. But there's a reason for that. The reason why is because the manifestation of his coming was more important than the celebration of his coming. 
Now, here's what I mean, right? In other words, celebrating who came and why he came was far more important than celebrating when he came. That makes sense. Doesn't that make sense to you? But the important point is that we miss or that we push aside because we get into this debate is that it was celebrated. I don't have time, but in Luke 2, you'll see the, uh, the, uh, the shepherds, they just, the angels and shepherds, they all just celebrated. They were all just praising the Lord. And every time I read about the shepherd's celebration, I am reminded God is pleased when we celebrate his Savior. And, and his birth is one of those times. I want to uh, address this issue with three substantial beliefs, uh, unsubstantial beliefs that are being taught out there. The Bible does not forbid Christmas trees or celebrations, nor does it forbid decorations. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, they got a Christmas tree out front all lit up. Sorry, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, believers who object to using Christmas trees to celebrate Christmas often, what they do is they go to Jeremiah 10. And, and they do that as their proof text. It reads like this. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the harvest, the work of the hands... Uh, hands workmen with, uh, with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. Now, I am not sure how they associate that with Christmas, but there are people who do. They say that this passage is the beginning of the custom of putting up and decorating trees for Christmas. They're absolutely wrong. You see, because there's, it's simply not true. Because there is no proof or authenticity to the claim both biblically and historically. It just isn't there. Amen? This untruth is usually pushed by simple ignorance of the Bible. If you take the Bible in context, this is the way we're supposed to take it in context, if we look at the surrounding verses in the context rather than taking those verses in isolation out of context, the context clearly is talking about pagan practices where they were making idols out of trees and then worshiping them. Even history rebukes the, uh, this erroneous belief. In, John, uh, in Dr. John R. Rice's famous sermon, Should a Christian Observe Christmas, he recounts the historical origin of the Christmas tree. There is documented historical proof the tradition began in the 8th century with a, with a missionary named Boniface who went to Germany to preach Christ. The, uh, the Germanic tribes were symbolizing oak trees as symbols of deity, is all they were doing. Uh, and, and Boniface just told them that an oak tree was a poor symbol, right, uh, for, for God. He, he, he just said he shed, it sheds its leaves, it appears to die during the winter, but the tree that should remind them of the true God is evergreen tree because it's always green, it's always thriving, it's always alive. So because the Christmas tree has a Christmas origin and is forbidden in Scripture, there's no reason to preach against it or abstain. Because it has a Christian origin and is not forbidden in Scripture, there's no reason at all for any of us to preach against it or abstain from having one in your, in your home. Uh, when, when kept in their proper biblical perspective, these, uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ with traditional methods that have warmed your hearts for centuries. I remember as a kid, I loved uh, decorating the tree. Pat was just telling somebody just a little while ago that uh, I, I, I loved doing it then, but when I got old, I didn't want to do it anymore, so we just let our kids do it. 
right? So they, and they had decorations everywhere, all over the house. And I remember those moments as warm feelings as I go back and think about that when the kids were small. Secondly, the Bible does not say there were only three wise men that came to visit the Lord Jesus. Now, what's that got to do with celebration? Well, listen, the Bible says uh, there came wise men. That's plural. The Bible does not say how many wise men, but, but there were more. But I think we can safely assume there weren't a lot more, but there were certainly more than three. You know, consider the importance of their journey, the length of their journey, the anticipation of who they might find. Would it not be reasonable to believe that they were excited about the journey? More than likely, there was more than three, but not too many more because they were all in the house there to enter into the house of Mary and Joseph. But knowing the number of them is not what's important. Don't let the debate cause you to miss the one of the most important points of the celebration. They came bearing gifts to the king that they thought, and he was, and he will be, the king of the Jews. The Bible makes it very clear that gift-bearing to celebrate the birth of Jesus is not only okay, it's encouraged. I'm sure in a few moments, some of you have already been passing out cards and giving things and doing all that. That's fun. That's all a part of the Christmas celebration, as long as we don't get caught up in the commercialization. right? It's the gift-bearing is to represent the gift-bearing that was done back there for the Son of God. And also, they did not come to a manger. Right? They came to the house where Jesus was now. He was no longer an infant. I like to think about that. At the time, he must have been walking around the house exploring with curiosity. How was that? How was the, little, the young man that was up here that was four? All right, he was a little bit younger than that. But you know how kids are at two years old, right? It's the best year of their life for opening presents. For us, <laughs> right? Because we love it. We watch it. We get all excited and, and watch them as they get all excited. Now think about that for a minute. Can you imagine what went through this little boy's mind when a caravan of people came in with gifts for him? I mean, he was still a boy. Yes, he was the son of God, but he was still a little boy in flesh. He must have been so excited. Have you can, ever seen a two-year-old do that? I, I've watched it all the time. I love them ripping the paper apart. This would have been a celebration like no Christmas morning we've ever experienced. I think we can see God expects us to celebrate Christmas. right? He, the Word of God substantiates the birthday of the Savior. The Word of God vindicates the birth celebration of the Savior. And number three, and I have one more after this, so stay with me. I'm just going to go a little bit past 12. The Word of God validates the birthplace of Jesus. Most people believe the star led the wise men all the way to Jesus. That's what most people believe. But the star was, not, uh, was, was only the confirmer of his birth, not the navigator for his birth. Now, how do I know that? I know that from Scripture. The star was lit at the beginning of their journey, but at some point during their journey, it went out. It had to. It reappearing later, because reappearing later, right, they went to Bethlehem. But where did they end up when they were found the first time? In Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that. So the wise men came from the east. They came to Jerusalem and said, where is he? We followed the star. They were in the wrong place. They said in verse 2, we have seen, past tense, the star. Where is he? 
in, in the east. They saw, they saw it in the east, right? Now, Jesus' common sense, you put this together, right? Thus the star which they saw, past tense, in the east must have somewhere either went out or got blocked by clouds or something. It was a welcome surprise when it came back. Jesus was not born in Jerusalem as they expected, and don't get too hard on him for that. Now, just think about it. If you, if, uh, uh, why did they go to Jerusalem? Well, at the very beginning of the journey, they saw a star, but early in the journey, the star stopped, so they went to the most logical place to find a king, Jerusalem. If you wanted to find the president of the United States, where would you go? Washington. But he's probably not, hasn't been born there. It'd be someplace else, right? So if you wanted to find the president, you'd go to Washington. That's the logical place you would go. So, how, so then how did they know to head towards Bethlehem? According to verse 5, it was the word of God that showed them how to go to the Bethlehem. It wasn't the star. So this is how God always works in the lives of his children. Always by faith in his word. That's what you have. You have right here the word of God, and it's always by putting your faith in his word. Noah was told to build an ark. One hundred and ten years later, it rained. His star didn't shine for a long time. The promise of God's word is what kept him going. How about Moses was headed to the promised land, leading two and a half million people for 40 years. Because of their uh, unbelief, the trip was canceled. Uh, had to go back in. The trip was only supposed to take two weeks. You know, his star didn't shine for a long time. Uh, what the prom- but the promise of God's word kept him going, didn't it? Joseph had a dream. He would be rule a nation. He was, he was sold into slavery and spent many years in prison. His star, star didn't shine for a long time. The promise of God's word, though, is what kept him going. How about Abraham? He was told his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in heaven. He didn't have any children until he was 90 years old. That's a long time for the star to not shine. And the promise of God's word kept him going. David was anointed by Samuel at around 16 years old. He was said to be, was going to be the king of Israel. He spent the major part of his life running in fear from, uh, from King Saul, uh, that he, the same king that he was going to replace. His star didn't shine for a long time. What kept him going? The promise of God's word. That's how it is with God's children. None of them stopped. None of them gave up. They kept going based on their faith in God's word. I, I just went through three years of being, um, not knowing what was going on in my life. I ended up with COVID for seven months and struggling with my health, thinking I was going to die. Uh, the only reason I'm standing here is I just refused to give up. I was trusting in God's word. He called me into ministry 36 years ago or whenever it was, and I don't think he calls somebody to say, I'm, I, I, now I'm going to reject you, now I don't want you anymore. You know, his promises are always based according to his word. So the truth is, it was not the star that led the wise men to Bethlehem. It was the word of God. It's the same for us today. What you, what you do when your star stops shining is really what's important to God. Will you keep going? And when your star stops shining, you do your best you know how to do based on the promises of God's word. And then what you do is you just keep going. That's all. You just keep going. 
Uh, they started out because of the Word of God. They found him because of the Word of God. Here, here's the thing. The star is important. It's very important. It was the confirmation or confirmation piece God used in this story, but he used it to confirm and honor the faith, their faith in God's Word. So whether you believe me in all that, in all of that, what I just said, it always comes back to the Word of God. The Word of God substantiates the birth of the Savior. It vindicates the birth celebration of the Savior. It validates the birthplace of the Savior. And lastly, and most importantly, the Word of God facilitates the birth need of the Savior. Now, I'm preaching to the choir, I think. Most of you are born again and saved. You all know why he had to come. Because if he didn't come, we had no way out of this cursed world. And we would be in hell when we die, suffering forever, the eternal punishment for our sins. But certainly, this whole book is written about Jesus Christ. It's all focused about him coming, about him dying, about him rising up from the dead, about him ascending back into heaven, about him coming again one day for us to take us home. It's all about him. Certainly are things in Christmas too complicated for us to understand, like the virgin birth, the incarnation of, uh, of God and man. But if we lose sight, listen, of the simple message of Christmas because of debating all the anomalies of Christmas, we've lost the reason for the season and lost uh, and missed the importance of it. If there's anybody by chance that's in this sanctuary that doesn't know 100% that when they die they'll be in heaven, if you don't know that 100% sure, well, when you die, you're going to end up in hell. Because you haven't received Christ as your Savior. But once you receive Christ as your Savior, he confirms his spirit with your spirit. You know the moment you do afterwards that he has come in, he's taken over your life, and then you're 100% sure you're going to heaven, and you will go to heaven when you die. The Word of God facilitates that. All of it, all of the Word of God does that. Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's what Christmas is all about. And he fulfilled it. He finished it on the cross. So the, the only question remaining this morning is, has he saved you? He's, he'll, he's, he'll draw you. He's crying out to you to believe what he has done and what he has said in his word. He's just waiting for you to respond with exception and not rejection. That's all it is. And that's the problem. We get too intellectual here. We get to the point where I don't know if I quite believe all of that stuff. Well, you better believe it. You better because it was all written and put into the book for you personally to trust on Jesus Christ as your Savior. He was not willing that any should perish. That's why he came. And he did it out of love. He came to love you, to show you his love, to demonstrate his love, commended his love, in that while we're yet sinners, he died for you. He came as a savior of the world, yes, but he came as your savior. I was just had I had a couple men in my office just this past week, and I was sharing with them about the importance of trusting on Christ and what they had to do in order to get, to do that. And it's pretty simple. 
Neither of them trusted at that moment, but I want to tell you something. They heard the gospel, the way out of the sin-cursed world into, into the heavenly places. And by the way, the kingdom of God starts the moment you trust on Jesus Christ. It's not you get there one day, he moves in right away, and that's, the kingdom starts right then. You must make a decision for Christ at some point in your life, and it's that one decision. That's all it is. One decision with the faith of a mustard seed. If you've got enough faith just to look to God and to say, I believe it. I believe that I believe in Jesus. I believe he came to save me from my sins. If you've got that much faith just to cry out and say, I believe that. I may not, I may not have all the, everything all together up here, but I believe it. And right now, I'm trusting him as my Savior, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart and save me right now. In other words, if anybody in this sanctuary within my voice, and, and he's drawn on your heart to get saved, you haven't been saved from your sin cursed yet because you haven't repented of your sins and your unbelief and turned to Jesus Christ and asked him for your Savior. He's waiting for you to do that. If there's anyone in this sanctuary right now that's unsaved, he's waiting for you to do it right now. Because there's going to be a time you won't have a chance anymore. The sad fact is, in these days ahead, there's, there's people within my voice right now aren't going to be here next year. They're just not. Because their timing for life is over, and God is going to take their life. Now, when you die, the next thing you do is you stand in judgment. You stand before Jesus Christ. And he's either going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into that paradise, or he's going to say, I never knew you. And you're cast away into the lake of fire. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. So if you're here and you haven't been saved, listen, you cannot get into heaven without a decision. And it has to be made in this life. Let's bow our heads. The thing is, is no one can make that decision for you. And no one can exit this life without having to make that decision to either reject him or accept him. One or the other. You've got to do one or the other. By doing nothing, you're rejecting him. But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. See, once, once you believe and receive him as your Savior, you will be forever secure in his hands. With every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anybody in here right now? Let me just ask this first. How many in this place are know for sure they're saved? Just raise your hand up. Know for sure. Absolutely. Well, I want to tell you something, and I, I'm not divulging any, uh, anything here, but I want to tell you, not everybody's hand went up. That means there's some that are still thinking about it, still wondering. I want to tell you, today's your day. It's a decision you have to make, and this is the will of him that sent him that Everyone that seeth the Son believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So if you'll sincerely call out right now to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I believe. Say in your own words, I believe. I, I repent of my sin. I receive you as my Savior. Come into my heart right now and save me. I want to tell you this. He made a promise. He said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll call right now, he'll save you. And if you called out to Jesus from a sincere heart, you can start rejoicing right now 
and experience the Christmas you've never experienced before, one knowing the one who came for you. Jesus said in Luke 15, 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. If you give your life to Christ right now, as Mike gives the invitation, all of heaven will rejoice over you. And then there'll be a place prepared for you. So when he comes back for you, and that's the day you don't know, no one knows, when you take your last breath, your next breath will be in his presence with him forever. Mike, I'm going to give you the pulpit right now. We can stand and keep our heads bowed. We stand, the piano plays. As cliche as it's become, can't get away from the truth of the statement, wise men still seek him. We pray that it would be our heart that we would seek him. Not just those that don't know him yet, but all of us who do claim to know him. We need him every day in our lives. We can't do anything without him. That's exactly what he said. Without me, you can do nothing. We need to seek him, seek his face each and every day. Be able to have his power in our lives. We might live it to his glory. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.